2: Ah, Welcome to the show. Uh, this is the living free show on 3CR, community radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill and with my show co-hosts we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today we've got a bit of a bit of a different uh, focus, and um, my guest today is Mitch. And I'd like to welcome Mitch to the show. Hi, Mitch. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Mitch is um, interested in joining the show as one of the um, Living Free team, and we we had a last minute. Um, guest cancellation. So Mitch volunteered himself to um, to tell uh, his story and to share about some of the experience he's had with drugs and alcohol and recovery. So Mitch, um, would you like to start by telling us a bit about yourself, growing up, family influences?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, I come from a small family. I've got uh, one sister. Uh, my uh, my mum had uh, about three brothers and three sisters, so my mum comes from a big family. Uh, growing up, I come from came from a very uh, supportive, loving uh, family environment. Uh, my, both my parents uh, loved to drink, as a lot of my friends' parents did, um, and that was constant from an early age um, up until yeah, up until I moved out. Um, I went to a private school. Um, growing up, private school, drinking culture was, uh, very common amongst friends of mine. Um, there wasn't really a, uh, a drug, uh, influence or environment, um, when we started to get into that kind of scene, um, house parties, that kind of thing, it was always very much drinking orientated. So that was something that was very, very, uh, normalized and comfortable for me from a young age.
2: Yep. Do you want to talk about,
3: um, your
2: family life and, um, siblings and...
3: Yeah sure. Yeah, sure. So um yeah, my sister and I uh we used to be uh pretty close growing up. Obviously we would fight a lot as as uh, siblings did. And then um up until the age of about 13, 14, uh we kind of grew apart a little bit. Uh yeah, we um we had pretty much our mum at home for most of the week uh, because my parents, my dad was away during the week. He would fly out. My mum would fly out on the weekends. They were flight attendants. Um, so, you know, when they would, when they would come back, um, they would obviously be pretty jet lagged and um, they would uh, often drink a lot to kind of deal with the jet lag and that kind of thing. And yeah, so that was something that my, uh, my family my sister and I noticed a lot growing up and, um, we would get to go on vacations a lot, um, which was cool because obviously being a flight attendant, you got stuff, uh, staff credit for travel allowance and flights and whatnot. So that was pretty cool. We got to travel a lot, pretty lucky and privileged in regards to that. But yeah, I had a, um, a pretty, pretty normal, pretty cool loving relationship with both my parents and my sister.
2: You talk about your parents drinking, what sort of impact did that have on your childhood?
3: Yeah, sure. So, um, Basically, uh, there was a lot of coming home from school. I wasn't the most uh, disciplined kid, I guess you could say, growing up in regards to my grades and my schooling and whatnot. Um, kind of the kind of to the dismay of my parents. And so, um, pretty much every night, uh, if my mum was home, my mum would be drinking a lot, and you know there would be like arguments regarding my um, day at school or you know if I didn't want to uh, go to bed at a certain time if I was playing up, um, the drinking would definitely um, intensify and we would have arguments most nights out of the week. And then the next morning, um, obviously we had to go go, go, we had to get to school so it was kind of swept under the rug. Uh, and that would be pretty much most nights. I wouldn't talk about it with my friends because it wasn't something that was discussed with me, so I didn't feel like I had that environment in which we could have that kind of discussion. Um, But that was something that was also very normal to me. So I, you know, I didn't really give it any thought as to whether or not my friends would be going through similar situations with their parents kind of thing. So, yeah, it was definitely normal from an early age. Yeah. What about having friends over? One thing I note from my own childhood,
2: growing up with an alcoholic father, was that I didn't encourage other kids to come to my place
3: because we didn't really know what had happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so my mum kind of... Was, I guess you could say, a little bit in the elk of like a helicopter parent. So she didn't really want me going to other people's places and was more kind of comfortable um, bringing people over to our place where we were kind of under uh, my mom's guise. She could kind of control the environment that we were kind of in. Um, and yeah, I guess it comes back to kind of um, control and like the fear of the unknown. You know, she wouldn't know. What I was up to if I was going to be going to another kid's house for a sleepover, even though it would probably be just be you know ordering pizza, playing video games, standard stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah I guess it was the fear of the unknown. So a lot of the, a lot of the time it would be friends coming over to our house, um, kind of in an environment which uh, which mum could supervise. Yeah. So what about friendships? Did you have close friendships? Yeah, I did. I had a lot of uh, close friends going up. I was like a I was a very social kid, I guess you could say. Um, probably probably had too many friends to be honest in terms of always wanting kind of to make friends and uh sorry wanting to make plans with friends um mm. so you know like if something didn't really if something wasn't really suitable for me in 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 regards to one plan i'd uh you know hit up another friend and maybe one one of invite them over that kind of thing so yeah i was really busy uh socializing yeah as a kid yeah yeah <laughs> um so
2: you said your dad was away during the week. So did you feel you suffered because of his absence?
3: Um, in regards to some things, definitely yes. So, you know, I played a lot of sport and a lot of soccer um, growing up. And my dad was here for some, for some weeks, for some games. Um, and then he wasn't there for other weeks and other games. So getting to training and that kind of thing. My mum would always get me there, but I, you know, I, I guess you, you want uh, the guidance um, from my dad who loves sport, loves soccer, um, but wasn't there to kind of go through that journey with me on yeah. my own um, kind of experience in the sport. So, and yeah, he, you know, he would be there uh, on weekends and stuff, but, you know, just being brought up by my mum, I guess. I definitely was raised in regards to having a more feminine kind of perspective, um, a more kind of, uh, yeah, I was definitely um, more so, I picked up a lot more behavior patterns from my mom than I did my dad. Um, And I guess, you know, people talk a lot about the impact of just having kind of one parent in your life growing up and how that kind of affects you and... Uh, I definitely think in regards to having, like, uh, a masculine figure in my life um, would have helped in regards to my sporting journey and stability and things like that. But, um, yeah, we still had a a very good relationship.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what was your parents' relationship like?
3: Um, You know, I guess going back to uh, drinking and their relationships with alcohol – Uh, That was definitely a constant in my life uh, in terms of arguments that they would have um, when when they did drink. Um, So my mum was the kind of alcoholic where she would uh, bottle everything up. She was a a beautiful woman, um, the kindest person you'd meet. Um, But if she were to have things that gave her any grievance during the day... um, you know things that my dad um, weren't doing that she um, had any dismay with. She would bottle out that bottle that up, and that would all come out um, when she got drunk. Um, my dad would probably drink the same amount, but he would kind of be the laid laid back. Um, probably handle it a little bit better. Um, but yeah, my mum would kind of take it out on my dad and that's actually like my earliest memory um i guess sadly or funnily enough is um the two of them kind of arguing in my old house whilst i was on the stairs as a as a young fella so there was definitely a lot of arguing and like i said the next morning it would kind of be swept under the rug yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's
2: that's living with an alcoholic i think yeah yeah um so you know I guess going through secondary school and leaving school, um, did you have any things in your late, you know, sort of secondary that stand out in your life?
3: Um, yeah, I guess um, the first time uh, that I got drunk and the first time that I started drinking um, kind of relates back to not being able to get to the house. Even up until the age of uh, 14, you know, I still found it difficult to be able to go to other friends' places for a sleepover, that kind of thing so the first time that um, I was drunk uh, I told my mum I was going to another person's house another friend's house that she thought was probably more suitable for me to have a sleepover and I guess being a um, being a teenager and being a bit of a rebel um, I ended up getting drunk uh, for the first time at um, another one of my friend's houses which she found out about the next day um, she can tell that I was pretty hungover I couldn't actually handle my alcohol at that age. Um, so, so yeah, so, um, there was a lot of house parties, um, from about the age of 14 onwards. Um, there was probably a lot of deception involved on my part, just out of, out of fear of mum finding, uh, finding out that I was, you know, socializing, um, trying to get out and, um, you know go to these house parties that all of my friends were going to and I definitely uh, felt a sense of isolation being the one in the friendship group that couldn't go to those things if Mm. I were to run it by mum first and I know that she would say no so a lot of the time um, that would result in skirting around and lying and deception and those kinds of things yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) pretty normal behavior Mm. Um, so what about your first drink did you did it
3: alcohol do anything for you yeah the first time uh, I got drunk was one of the best nights of my life Um, (laughs) And until it wasn't the next morning but uh yeah it was um in a pretty fun environment it was just your standard house party i think it was vodka was what i was drinking the first time that i got drunk so you can imagine how that worked out uh, especially not knowing uh tolerance or how different alcohol affects me that kind of thing um and yeah you know uh, i met a girl that i really liked that night and it gave me all this confidence and you know you think uh when that happens to you for the first time you know this is great like this is for me, this is what what makes me the person that I want to be. Um, And then you realize pretty quickly, you know, the the side effects and how it negatively affects you. And, you know, the person you think you want to be actually comes with a lot of baggage and a lot of other characteristics. And I figured that out pretty quick. Yeah.
2: So did you black out?
3: Um, Not the first time that I got drunk. Um, I, you know, maybe um, different periods throughout the night. Um, but yeah, I was very wasted. I made a complete clown of myself, so on and so forth, but I could still remember the night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> That's some positive. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so how did it
3: affect your relationships? Um, uh, alcohol specifically? Mm. Yeah. So, uh, basically, I, um, when I figured out that you could drink and you could keep drinking, um, and you could get to that level where it gives you this uh, confidence. Um, I found it difficult, as a lot of people do, um, to distinguish where that line is and how to stop that. Um, and so I, uh, I was seeing a girl um, when I was 17 and even prior to this. Um, and what would uh, often happen when I were to drink and get drunk would be that I would either run away from the group or i would say things that i didn't mean or uh i think these are common symptoms of um getting drunk and doing things that you regret but it definitely resulted in um a lack of trust and trust um between the first girl that i was seeing being damaged trust between me and my friends being damaged because you know i don't think you want to you want that kind of liability on a night out um knowing that okay you know He's probably going to end up God knows where later on doing something. I'm going to have to take care of him. going to have to get him home. You know, you, 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 want, you want to have fun. Um, and I think that was kind of contradictory um, to um, a lot of my friends and, and loved ones. And, you know, I kind of had a vindictiveness kind of towards my mom. So I would get drunk and I would argue with her because she would get drunk and argue with me. And, um, yeah, it definitely, definitely was a toxic thing for me at that yeah,
2: stage in life. Yeah. So what about your sister? Did she use alcohol as well or just...
3: Yeah, um, she actually pretty much completely abstained from alcohol. Um, uh, She's two years younger than me uh, and only very recently uh, she started to drink uh, and socialize and that kind of thing. So uh, the altercations between my mom and my dad um, growing up definitely, I think, affected her more so than it did me for whatever reason i don't know if it was just because i internalized that as something as more normal than what she did um but yeah i definitely um loved and craved the feeling of, of getting drunk and um i guess i had friends that would really encourage that kind of thing as well i think she was in different friendship groups so that didn't come as as naturally to her so she's starting to build a healthy relationship with alcohol and drinking but for the longest time completely abstained for those reasons
2: yeah yeah. yeah, I think um, I'm I'm the youngest in my family, and I think the youngest in the family uh, tends to be more sensitive and more susceptible to, you know, I guess fear, uh, the
3: fear of something going wrong. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think you know she saw. Um you know me when i was drunk as well so that's having the um collateral um from me you know when i maybe wasn't at my best when i was drinking as well as my mom as well as my dad and mm. people in the family so she had a, a lot of reference points yeah definitely yeah
2: okay well so we might take a quick break um have got a song this one's called how crazy i've been uh, it's by kat kantiri off her inner north album from 2018 <laughs> i had a few jobs over the years. None I've really loved. A mate suggested I use my skills to teach. Turns out I only needed to study for under two years. Now
0: I'm in demand in a secure career I love. Come on kids, gather around. Are you ready? Fast track your study and start teaching sooner with an accelerated learning program. Visit vic.gov.au forward slash teach the future. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne
1: a 3CR supporter.
0: Every Wednesday at 11am join me, Bungelini, at the fire in Community Radio 3CR. <laughs> Three hours of historically informed Critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty, and the cessation of genocide. Featuring the best of black music. Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR.
2: Welcome back. Uh, this is Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, if you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Uh, today I'm talking with Mitch uh, about his life and his involvement with the Dopey podcast, which we'll get to a bit later. Um, so Mitch, before the break, we were talking about families and growing up and things. So what happened when you left school?
3: Yeah, so when I left school, um, I was obviously still hanging out with a lot of the same friendship groups uh, that I that I had during school, as well as you know new people that I met at uni, so on and so forth. Uh, and yeah, that resulted in a lot of the same kind of partying and social behaviour as what I kind of developed during school. Um, And that that happened for about two years, um, still the same patterns of excessive drinking, binge drinking, um, and then at the back end of 2019, I went on exchange to New York, and that's when I really found myself in a different environment for the first time in regards to social settings, partying, and that kind of thing, so... Uh, in my grade, there was definitely a, uh, culture of, uh, binge drinking that was very normalized. We weren't a grade that was involved in drug use or anything like that, like some other grades were. Um, and yeah, so that resulted in me obviously, um, uh, drinking just as much as my mates were in massive, massive amounts and maybe not handling it as well. Although when I, went on exchange in 2019, um, I found a different culture of, socializing, um, in terms of, uh, weed use. So weed use was, uh, decriminalized in New York, New York state. And when I went over there, um, I met some people through my program, started hanging out with them. And, um, I started, uh, smoking weed, marijuana for the first time. And what ended up happening here was that, um, it really helped with my binge drinking. So, I didn't have to drink excessively to reach a level of intoxication that made me feel confident or comfortable or peaceful in in my mind. Um, I got there with my weed use and it meant that, you know, I could still absolutely drink but I wasn't having as much Um, and that was really something that helped me Um, and that was something that was normalized with the people that I was hanging out with at that time.
2: Yeah. So did did it affect the way you related to other people?
3: Um, I suppose it did. Uh, it definitely, I'm someone that kind of I have a little bit of a uh, tendency to follow suit with what the people around me are doing. So I guess you could call it peer pressure or that kind of thing. But, um, I definitely um uh imitate the behavior of the people that I'm close with and that I'm hanging out with. And so. Because that was um, so normalized, I felt comfortable doing it, and yeah, I've I found out that it wasn't something demonic, or you know, I didn't really have friends that were smoking or using drugs um, before I went to America, and I found out pretty quickly that um, it was something that was talked about and done in moderation, and it definitely helped me socialize and, and make more friends.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, did it affect your the way you related to yourself, did you did you feel more comfortable being yourself?
3: I definitely did because when I was when I was binge drinking, I there would be a lot of repressed emotions that would come to the surface and stuff that I didn't know how to deal with. Um, I guess that's just being intoxicated quite generally. Um, you know, you don't really know how to make sense of the different things that you're feeling or your issues or um, that kind of thing. So uh, not and, and, you know, there would be that um, anxiety the next day, you know, what what did I do last night? I can't remember. I hope I didn't um, make a clown out of myself or do something embarrassing and that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you know, that went away. I could remember the night. I, um, I, I had more confidence in myself and I had more confidence going into different social situations. Um, and that was something that, yeah, I could definitely attribute to. Uh, being in a different social environment, finding weed and um, its ther- therapeutic uses for me.
2: Yeah. So, what happened when you came back?
3: Um, yeah. So, when I came back, I um, actually took the weed habit with me. Um, it was something that my uh, partner and I actually um, discovered together and started um, kind of using together. And that was great for our relationship. Um, my partner <clears throat> isn't someone that would necessarily binge drink anyway. Um, but it brought us together because it was kind of something that we could bond over, something that we both liked. Um, I found different friends that were also into um, weed as well that I'm, I'm really close with today. Um, and yeah, it, it, it meant that when I came back from America, my relationship with alcohol was totally different, which meant that my relationship with my loved ones was totally different. Um, and my social life has definitely improved uh, since I got back over the last few years.
2: Right. Um, so, where did your weird use take you?
3: Um, could you be more specific?
2: Oh, did it did it change the way you lived your life?
3: Um, I think it did. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, if 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 not a daily habit, um, something you know, I'm definitely doing um, multiple times a week. Um, it, it helps me chill out. Um, it puts me, it gives me confidence in myself um it helps me meet more people um it's something that i um really didn't know a lot about because like i said um my social settings and conventions when i was growing up um you know if you were to say hey you know i I smoked some weed you'd be it'd be frowned upon and it would be something that wasn't discussed um and frankly demonized um so um since finding out um And, and, you know, it's not for everyone, but for me, um, I think I'm a bit of a highly strung person, so it definitely helped me get back to baseline. And like I said before, it it got me to a place of, you know, um, not needing to binge drink and consume excessive amounts of alcohol to get into a place where I was intoxicated, but still um, confident in myself and my abilities to socialize. Yeah. So, did it cause any issues in your life? Um, Weird use? Yeah. Um yeah actually it did. So I guess it's you know not without risks and without um harm like any substance. And um I was living with a best mate of mine and um this was at a time where I guess I was smoking a lot and he uh he wasn't really happy with um how much I was smoking but I didn't find out about this until Uh, until after he kind of reacted to it. So he, all of a sudden, um, you know, I wouldn't say stopped talking to me, but we weren't hanging out as much. All of a sudden I noticed our relationship had changed, but it wasn't being vocalized. And, yeah, he basically, you know, uh, ended up, he didn't know how to put that into words, and he basically ended up saying that he thought I was smoking a little bit too much. He wasn't someone that did smoke, although I guess it's a little bit of a double standard because he was a big drinker, <laughs> Um. so, you know, there weren't any yeah. issues ever relating to alcohol, but he did uh have that issue with me smoking. We're, we're all, all good now, it's all patched up, but... Yeah, I guess it all goes back to communicate that open line of communication. He didn't tell me that I uh, that he had an issue with this, and so that relate um, that ended up um, creating a fracture in our relationship, um, which has since healed. Um, but yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and when we were talking earlier, you mentioned getting some therapy. So,
3: at what point did you choose to get therapy? Yeah, sure. Um, so this was um after I got back from America. So. Um, as much as um, I found that uh, weed and marijuana use helped me with my binge drinking and with socializing and that kind of thing um, it was a bit of a gradual process so I did still drink a lot um, when I was over in America because obviously there is still a huge drinking culture there um, as there is here and so I did go to therapy um, a few months after getting back from America um, due to issues still relating to my drinking so it was a process of about six to eight months phasing out the, um, kind of my addiction to binge drinking, um, and balancing that out with my weed use. So yeah, I did go to therapy relating to issues in my relationship, um, binge drinking, but not being accountable, uh, for my behavior necessarily a hundred percent, um, which related, um, in uh sorry which um ended up creating like a fracture in the relationship between me and my partner at the time and obviously i've got this um huge love for her and i think sometimes just generally as people but definitely as a guy you don't always know how to talk about your feelings um and uh when you do figure that out and i did do that with the help of a professional um it meant that we had a much better open line of communication and uh yeah, my sub- substance use um, definitely was um, healthier because of it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so most alcoholics and drug addicts tend to use <clears throat> alcohol and drugs to to mask an insecurity of some sort. So did you discover any sort of insecurities in your life that you were masking
3: yeah sure um i definitely think um alcohol did help mask different insecurities so i can speak to the insecurities i kind of had in my relationship um definitely early on and this is an issue that i worked through in therapy as well um, jealousy over my partner, um, you know, in previous relationships and stuff like that. And insecurity over um, just my partner and um, other people and those kinds of things. And you would get drunk because obviously you, I would uh, notice that in different social settings while we were together, everybody, everybody would be drinking, um, you'd be young and you'd get a bit jealous and that kind of thing. And what I would do was I would keep drinking and that insecurity would kind of fester and grow. And I think um, alcohol for me definitely exacerbated those negative feelings. When I first started drinking and getting drunk, uh, I was the happy drunk and I didn't have any kind of sadness or um, anger. I couldn't even fathom what that would be like. You know, I would see like the angry guy that would get drunk and punch a hole in the wall and go, you know, what what has (laughs) happened to that guy tonight kind of thing. Um, And I couldn't understand it, but the more I did it and the more I kind of ignored my own problems, the more the alcohol exacerbated that. Um, and so, yeah, with, with the help of therapy, um, um, with uh, what it gave me in regards to how I understood my relationship with alcohol and how I can improve that. Um, I didn't have to, uh, I, I could understand my insecurities better sober, learn how to deal with it sober that improved my communication with my partner um and uh, and yeah. yeah
2: okay so growing up in, in an alcoholic home you tend to be a bit of a controller like you're talking about your mum but did you find you were a bit of a controller as well
3: yeah I think so um my mum told me that she had OCD and her OCD manifested as checking the doors were locked uh, six seven eight times a night and the alcohol I'm not sure whether or not this was related to kind of... A lapse, in mem- a lapse in memory um, but the more she would drink and the drunker she got the more um, her OCD traits would kind of come out so definitely if I was out of the house um, and she would be drinking a lot she would need to know exactly where I was she would be texting me non-stop that kind of thing and as much as you don't want to acknowledge that as something um, you could take on board within your own personality and your own behavior um, I definitely think that it that it did, um, and that it crept into my relationship, needing to know where my partner was, um, constantly checking in, needing that text message, and that was something that I worked through um, with therapy. But it was something that was exacerbated when I was when I was drinking and getting drunk, and those were, those were the negative parts of my relationship that I desperately wanted fixing.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, Wilson, well, we might take another short break. Um I've got another song. This one's called Survivor's Tale by Liz Thomas and it's off the Survivor's Tale album from 2013. <laughs>
0: Be topping up every now and then. Monty auntie. Thanks, Bob. Including your COVID protection. If you're an adult and it's been six months since you caught COVID or had a COVID jab, you can now top up with a free COVID-19 booster. It helps keep you and your mob protected from serious illness from COVID-19. So talk to your doctor or health worker about a free COVID-19 booster or visit health.gov.au forward slash top up to find out more. Authorised by the Australian Government Camera. A 3CR supporter. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
3: Tune in to Done by Law.
1: An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives.
3: Done by Law. 6 p.m.
1: Tuesdays.
2: Ah, welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au and today I'm talking with Mitch and we're talking about his life and the Dopey Podcast, which we'll get to shortly. <laughs> um, so Mitch before the break we were talking about sort of control in relationships and things like that Um, and your history sort of got you interested in in recovery and rehab and things like that Um, you know I guess following your own investigation into um, getting some sort of support for yourself in understanding the way you worked so um, do you want to tell us a bit more about how your interest got stimulated in, the, in that area?
3: Yeah, sure. So uh, basically, after going through my own trials and tribulations with alcohol um, and you know, going through really low points emotionally, going through really high points emotionally, um, it was definitely a very um, bipolar relationship with alcohol, um, really high lows, sorry, really low lows and really high highs. Um, and so I always enjoyed hearing uh, stories from friends of mine about you know, a really good night that they had out on the drink, or, or a really bad night. I found um, both, both of the extremes to be entertaining. So as part of my kind of own um, therapy, um, I, uh, I seeked out uh, stories of drug and alcohol, basically drug and alcohol stories, um, some involving rehabilitation, some not. Um, and so I went to one of my streaming services one day and searched uh, for that exact thing, drug and alcohol stories. And I found a New York drug and alcohol rehabilitation podcast called uh, Dopey. And so Dopey basically was started by uh, two uh, heroin addicts uh, in recovery. Um, one of them uh, actually having overdosed about 150 episodes into the production, which was pretty tragic, But and the other co host carrying on the show. And the uh, perspective uh, of Dopey was to highlight the humor behind different drug stories and using humor as a crux to deal with uh, to deal with drug rehabilitation. And I think when I hear when I hear those kinds of stories, even if I can't relate to the specific drug or you know the relationship someone is having um, in regards to that substance, uh, I can still notice similarities in regards to how something made them feel or. Um, you know how they dealt with a certain issue even if it wasn't the same substance. So finding those similarities, I could empathize with a lot of different people. And I found the more guests that I started listening to on the pod- on the podcast, uh, the more similarities that I could pick out. So it was a very uh, entertaining and engaging platform for me. And one episode, the host uh, of the show asked if anyone was interested in getting involved helping produce, that kind of thing, and I definitely put my hand up, sent an email to the host, Dave, and got involved, um, and yeah, I helped produce the show, and it's a really engaging and fulfilling experience.
2: Uh, so, do you want to tell us a bit more about, um, I guess, how you got involved, what sort of things you did? Mm-hmm. Um
3: yeah, so um, I reached out via email, and Dave got back to me, uh, and we started talking on Instagram. And he wanted to know um, kind of what my specialties were and how I could specifically help. And he pretty much prescribed me the task of listening to the early episodes of the show, archiving them, time stamping the most interesting bits that he could use for social media use or for his own own personal use. Going over the show and. It was an interesting experience because uh, I would have listened from episode 250 onwards. I think there are uh, about 400 now. So I uh, got to listen to the show when it's in when it was in its uh, infancy. And that was interesting because I'd never actually heard the co-host uh, that passed away. I didn't actually uh, hear him on the show at all because I started listening after he passed away. So that was a pretty confronting experience. Um listening to the two of them kind of talking about their experiences in recovery and the the two of them being in a good place with the knowledge um, of knowing that one, one of the co-hosts was going to pass away. So uh, that being said, um, I still was really grateful to get involved with the show and I love the sense of humor that the uh, two of them presented drug and alcohol rehabilitation with. I think it's really important, at least for me, I always like to kind of discuss my own um, involvement with drug and alcohol and my rehabilitation. And just the way I generally approach life with a with a sense of humor uh, helps me kind of sap the seriousness that I kind of felt when I was binge drinking and those negative kinds of emotions. It helps sap that out for me. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I wanted to get involved with Dopey.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think in, in most 12-step programs that I've come across that people... Are often amazed at how people can talk about their experience with humor looking back at the time it's pretty terrible yeah. but looking back they can sort of see the the humorous side yeah. and I think that helps in recovery to be able to to I guess identify that part of yourself that was sort of out of control and what 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 you thought you you could achieve and All your limitations. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. And I think as well, you know, um, a lot of these stories, um, they're often wild stories. Uh, So, you know, it's a lot lot of time, especially for an addict, it's not so straightforward to get your next fix when you've not got any money or you've got a job interview or, you know, you've got something preventing you from getting there. So a lot of the time, um, it's often chaotic and uh, there is definitely humor to be found in a lot of those kinds of stories.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, you also went searching on the internet for more stories. So do you want to tell us a bit more about your uh, your investigations?
3: Yeah, I can't get enough. can't <laughs> get enough of these uh, kind of stories. Um, so yeah, so I did exactly that on YouTube. Uh, there is a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly, which is quite popular with about 5 million subscribers. Um, and that's uh, hosted by, uh, it's set in Los Angeles, and a lot of the guests on the show are often Um, from Skid Row and from surrounding areas. And it's not just addicts, it's people with mental health conditions like schizophrenia, um, you know, that have uh, had really troubled uh, childhoods um, and, you know, adolescence and um, these kinds of issues carrying on into their adulthood. But uh, a lot of these Soft White Underbelly episodes always start out with the same um, question. How was your childhood? What was it like growing up? And it's astounding the amount of guests that have had a damaged or fractured childhood and what that meant um, for them taking that into the rest of their life. It's, yeah, it's pretty much every episode um, someone speaks as to their experiences as a child and you know how that's affected them. Uh, but that's, that's very raw. Softlight underbelly is very raw. It's very real. Uh, it's just someone sitting in a stool with a very simple backdrop telling their story. And it's very powerful um, and I, you know, like I said before, I empathize with a lot of the stories of the guests on Soft White Underbelly.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have um, a plan for your life at present?
3: Yeah. I, uh, I hope to get into media. Um, I've studied journalism and often within my journalism, I like presenting myself with a sense of humor. So, I think that there there is always a story that needs to be told um but if you can do that while staying true to the story, staying true to yourself and presenting things um as seriously as they need to be but with with a with a light and with a sense of humor um that's often like how I like to present my journalism and that's my approach to life and uh yeah I want to commit myself um to something that I believe in I just believe in being in being genuine um and working hard and having a sense of humor. So I'm looking to combine all three of those kinds of aspects of my life into a media career, media path. And yeah, I suppose this is part of it for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, thank you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So usually at the end of the show, we talk about, uh, I guess, the change in your relationship once you've had the insight into your behavior and your substance use. So how has it changed your relationship with your mum?
3: Sure. Um. So, kind of since realizing um how my mom's alcohol use affected me and affected her and extended family, my sister, so on and so forth. Um. I definitely have, funnily enough, more of a sense of compassion um for my mom and a sense of uh, understanding. Um. As well as you know knowing that uh the arguments that she would have with my dad and uh, with myself and with my sibling, um, and the the way that they were swept under the rug the next morning, that that would always create um, a kind of a sense of disdain the next morning. But I realised, like like any mum, like any parent, uh, they're just doing their best, and that's the way my mum was coping with bringing the two of us up. It definitely wasn't easy. I know I didn't make it easy for my mum at the best of times. Um, so I guess. Yeah, I definitely have more of a sense of compassion and understanding and the knowledge that she was just doing the best that she could, um, being brought up in an environment with alcohol and an alcoholic father herself. Um, obviously, that relays. Um, and yeah, I, I, going forward, I definitely want to have more of an open line of communication with these kinds of things uh, with my mum, mm. because I think that's nothing but healthy, and that's what my therapy and my rehabilitation process has taught me um but yeah we're, we're in a good place now and i i want to i hope our relationship can get even better yeah
2: so what about your dad
3: my dad um yeah um oftentimes when um i was younger my mom would tell me you know y- y- your, your father he drinks just as much you know he um this that and the other she would fill myself and my sister in on things that she wasn't happy uh in regards to dad on um which i thought was you know kind of unfair but uh now with a sense of perspective you know he, he would drink just as much and he kind of took the back foot um and but he he had his own reasons he was working full time he was doing the best that he could um being a parent is obviously an extremely difficult gig um and i don't have the same um line of communication with my dad that i, I do my mom um My dad comes from an environment where you know mental health issues where relationships with your family members it's definitely not spoken about enough and i'm grateful that i could go to my mom and always talk to her about anything that i wanted to perhaps not in the same way that i could my dad um and i think i think he you know he got off not scotch free but like he did drink the same amount as my mum, and so you know he he wasn't the innocent party that I might have thought he was growing up as well. So mm. I've got that knowledge as well, and you know um, that that means I've got more compassion for my mum and you know the way that she brought us up too. But I definitely want to try and have the same open line of communication um, with my dad, and yeah, that's my mission going yeah. forward. <laughs> right.
2: Uh, and what about close partnerships then?
3: Yeah, um, so with my partner, um, I think we've got, uh, we've made that the priority in our relationship, um, having an open line of communication. And that was something that I learned through therapy and through um, the trials and tribulations that we've had in our own relationship. You know, I think the. The idea of communication being key is underrated for most relationships, let alone when uh, drugs and alcohol are thrown in. And I think the biggest uh, downfall of drug and alcohol abuse can be the um, damage that it does to your communication with loved ones. So Mm. um, having experienced the uh, trauma that I have with alcohol, having seen what it does and has done to my relationship, I've learned from that Uh, going forward. I know what those experiences can do for us. So um, I've got a good understanding of how to avoid those kinds of situations. Uh, I've got a better um, relationship with my own drug and alcohol use. And yeah, that open line of communication uh, that my partner and I have is absolutely essential. And I want to build on that in the Mm. future
2: too. Yeah. Okay. Um, So we're coming towards the end of the show but is there anything else you want to talk about that you think is important for you know i guess
3: people of your age yeah for sure um i see this message a lot being pushed nowadays in terms of it's okay to speak and that relates to mental health issues um and i guess specifically for men but men and women as well um but i also think it's okay to speak uh if you're struggling not just with uh mental health issues but with any kind of substance abuse. It's almost guaranteed that if not a close friend of yours, a friend of a friend has gone through something similar or they've experienced the same kind of emotions with a different substance. So there are definitely people out there that can relate to your story. I found that myself with my work with Dopey and my engagement with Soft White Underbelly. You're not alone, you're not isolated and there are people out there that can relate to your story that you can talk with and it's helped me immensely to do that with my therapist, with my loved ones. Uh, So I would definitely encourage uh, speaking about any uh, substance-related issues that you have, and just the knowledge. Um, I I would like people to have the knowledge, especially my age, that um, you shouldn't be demonized if you are having a relationship with any particular drug or that kind of thing. Um, That's something for you to figure out yourself, and yeah, it's important to talk about it.
2: Yeah, it's usually a symptom. It's not usually the cause. Yes, that's right. Okay, well, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank um, Mitch for sharing with us today and talking about the Dopey podcast and Soft White Underbelly. Thank you so much for having me on. No worries. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week uh, when we'll be talking with a member of Alcoholics Anonymous about the impact of alcoholism on their life. Uh, coming up next, we've got Balanoir, the spirit of war, hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the spirit of war on a journey of belonging and movement through sing alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio and 3CR.